Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. There's a Tom Petty lyric that, <laughs> that I think about, which is, waiting is the hardest part. And it's... So often, so often, that's, that's the biggest opportunity for us to disconnect while we're waiting. And sometimes our, our heart even tells us that, that the answer is coming, and, but the fortitude to stick it out can make all the difference between the life we lead and the life we could have led. And there's a Rebbe Nachman story, which I think, you know, in his inimitable genius, he, he sort of like captured this so well. He said that there were these two, two people collecting money and one was Jewish, one was not Jewish. And the, the Jew says to the non-Jew, he says, you know, you're really in luck because tonight you're going to get an amazing meal. Come with me to the, to the synagogue and tonight is Pesach night, Passover, and there's like going to be a big, big meal tonight and no one is going to be left in the shul by themselves. Everyone is going to get invited to a place. So you're going to be, you're going to be well taken care of tonight. So, so the two of them go together to the shul and sure enough, both of them get invited to different places for the Seder meal. And the next day, the Jew says to the non-Jew, did I tell you? Was it great? And the non-Jew says, wait a second. Like, let me tell you what happened. <laughs> he, says, he says, I showed up and they just kept talking and talking and talking and they didn't serve any of the food and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And finally, they hand out this sprig of parsley like that's the that's the meal and i'm thinking what is up with these people and then finally they serve some more food and it's these bitter herbs <laughs> and at that point i stood up and i said you're all crazy and i ran out of the house and the jew who he was telling this to he says uh if only you had stuck around a little bit longer you would have had an amazing meal so that's our lives, that's history in one, one little story. But it also underscores how difficult it is to wait, especially how hard it is to wait and to stay in the game. Remember, the Zohar says that the, the whole Torah is contained within the first word of the Torah. And Breshis which means beginnings, or as Reb Shlomo said in the name of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Breshis means out of beginnings, meaning the whole fabric of the universe is just made out of beginnings, just one beginning after another beginning. That's why we're never stuck. You're not stuck because every single moment is a new beginning because the world is literally made out of beginnings. But beginnings suggest a middle and an end. It means that the very first word of the Torah is telling you that a process is unfolding. 
And this is a very critical understanding because otherwise you won't understand your life and you won't understand this world. If you don't understand it, a story is being told. A lot of people experience a disappointment and then they reach the following conclusion. This is the end of my story. But I'm a writer. It's my business. And I can tell you from a structural standpoint, a story doesn't begin until there's conflict. Every story has to begin with a character having a need. Now, the character can't get what they need. If they get what they need at the very beginning of the story, you don't have a story. So now, let's put all these ideas together. A lot of people, they go through life, they're waiting for this moment, and then what they're hoping will happen doesn't happen, and they go, that's the end of my story. My story ended tragically. Or they can say, this is the beginning of my story. <laughs> this is the conflict which is the beginning of my story. And if you have that attitude, that disappointment is not the end of your story, but it's the inciting incident. That's what they call it, the inciting incident. That means that it's the conflict that propels action, future action. If you say this is the beginning of my story, then absolutely everything changes. And it's real, by the way. And it's real. You know, Moshe shows up to Egypt, which was a, a mission that he accepts very reluctantly. The Talmud says that Moshe argued with God for seven days by the burning bush that I'm not the man, don't, don't send me. <clears throat> not only that, but I learned that he was arguing with God, okay, if you're gonna send me, let this be the final redemption. And, and God's saying, you know, it's gonna come in stages. This is not gonna be the final redemption. So all of this is very, very difficult for Moshe, but Moshe, as we know, gets on board and he goes to Egypt and everything gets worse. Everything gets worse. And he complains to God. He says, why are you doing evil to this people? Right? Because he has such compassion for his brothers and sisters who are now getting beaten even worse after he shows up, seemingly because he's shown up. Now, by the way, there's a very interesting explanation of why things got worse then. And this is something that we should know for our own lives because this is a very practical piece of information, which is the Jewish people were supposed to be in Egypt longer than they were. And so what God did was he compressed the timeline to get them out faster. But in compressing the timeline, it also meant that the amount of work and hardship that they were going to have to endure was also compressed. So this is fascinating. I think teachings like that are so revelatory because they show us how sometimes things are getting a lot worse, but really what's happening is they're getting a lot better. But the way we experience it, if we don't understand the goodness of God, the way we experience it is it's just sounds like chaos and 
hardship and cruelty. Moshe sees things getting worse. And Moshe leaves Egypt. And this is, you know, one of the most shocking pieces of information. And the Ramban brings it. After he says to God, why did you make things worse? It says Moshe left Egypt for a period of either three months or six months. Now, what was going on in Moshe's mind that he left? So it's really hard for us to psychoanalyze Moshe Rabbeinu. (laughs) I don't think that we should have the temerity to do so. But, but we are asked to engage in the Torah and to try to understand it to the extent that we can, right? By the way, the Or HaChayim gives a very important foundation about Torah study, which is that you can give your own interpretations as long as they don't contradict Jewish law. That whatever your interpretation is, that's, that's your interpretation. You can do that. You're allowed to do that. Right? And of course, the the greatest, deepest, truest interpretations will become part of our tradition. The ones that are less good, (laughs) you, you still get reward for because you tried and you engaged. But just because you say it doesn't make it true. But you should say it because it means that you're engaging and trying to understand on a deeper level. Now, the one exception is, and this is this is very important to keep in mind, is your interpretations are valid as long as you don't contradict Jewish law with them. In other words, as long as you don't say, I know what this passage means. It means that pork is kosher. (laughs) As long as that's not your interpretation, then you're connecting your soul to the oral law with the written law, which is which is compared by the Kabbalists to a form of marital intimacy, right? You're bringing your soul into the soul of the Torah and interconnecting them. So that's a very holy, pure, high thing, as long as you don't use it to advance a false agenda. A false agenda would be defined by the fact that the Torah says, don't add to my mitzvot and don't subtract from them. So if you kind of use it to do one or the other, then that's when you get into trouble. So now with that in mind, I just want to give you my understanding. Given the idea that Moshe protests for seven days that I'm not the person for the job, and then he goes in and everything gets worse, and then he leaves Egypt, it seems like there's a level of protest going on there. That's my understanding from the context. That is, that's my understanding. And if you want to put it in extreme terminology, it looks like he's walking out. He's quitting. So that can't be the end of this idea. The real end of this idea is that he goes back in. And that's a teaching to us for all time, which is you can quit. But guess what? You can also unquit. You can say, you know something? Just like the redemption happens in stages, and just like my life happens in stages, and just like something may be overwhelming for me at this stage in my life, maybe at another stage in my life, it's not overwhelming. Maybe it's something because your soul doesn't go away. And you know what else? God doesn't go away. 
And so maybe at this point in my life, for whatever reason, I'm having difficulty engaging. But at another point in my life, the doors are always open for me to re-engage. It was this, the sweetest moment yesterday here at the Happy Minion. One of sort of like the new faces that sort of like this person who's just the sweetest, just on fire, you know, is here and kind of grew up with Torah and kind of went on his way and kind of has opened up the door. He says, I don't know how I found this place, but it's saving my life. And, and yesterday after Shalashudas, you know, someone said, who wants to lead the Mar of prayers? And he was kind of standing by the front of the shul. So someone said, well, would you like to do it? And his eyes widened. And he was like, me? And his Hebrew is quite good. And I don't think anyone knew that he didn't do this on a regular basis. I mean, he was, it was like, like A plus, right? And then I, you know, said, you know, that was great. And he said, again, his eyes widened. He said, I haven't done that in at least 10 years. And he's a young guy. <laughs> right? It was, it was beautiful. It was, it was really, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. So, so this idea that the gates are open, and that's what I said to him before he went up there, before he was deciding, I said, the gates are open. And as Rib Shlomo said one time, when the gates are open, you got to go through. Right? Now, I'll tell you the, the, the opposite of that teaching right now, because one can misuse that idea. There was a phrase that was on, it was very popular for a while, it was, on, it was on bumper stickers even, which is, let go, let God. Okay, sounds pretty good. So I actually heard this with my own ears. This woman was being interviewed and she said, I was driving on the freeway and there was the car in front of me and there was a bumper sticker on the car in front of me and it said, let go, let God. And so I just took my hands off the steering wheel. Okay, now that is a person in the process of a mental breakdown. <laughs> As my rabbi likes to say to me sometimes, that far we don't go. <laughs> so you, you have to know how to apply these thoughts. But the idea that when there is a holy opportunity in front of you, to go through because the gates are open. And by the way, I should tell you that that teaching really got me married. Um, I met my wife, who, thank God, I'm still married to. And we knew each other for a short period of time, but it was one of these situations where it was like very clear that we were, we were right for each other, you know? You know, a lot of people, just to digress for a moment, a lot of people wonder how some very religious people can go out on one date or two dates or whatever it is, and then get married. And this boggles a lot of people's minds, like how does this happen, right? It's so different from the more Western American kind of approach. But there is a real logic to it. And I think it's because they have the same shared vision for the future. And 
that's an amazing advantage for anyone who who has a, a, a Torah life that they, they want to share with another person. They know every every seventh day is Shabbos. You know, we're going to get together and we're, you know, as a family, we're, we're going to have a, a meal together or three meals together. It's, it's, that, that's, that provides like such a vision and a structure for relationship. We're going to send our kids to, to Jewish schools. We're going to keep the holidays. We're going to observe the laws of mikvah. Like this provides like plan and a foundation. And like I say, a, a vision for a shared future that if, if both parties are committed to each other, and what I mean by that is that, that they're committed to being kind to each other and they're committed to making the relationship work. This secret weapon of a shared vision of the future is really very, very powerful. And if you have that going in, that, I don't want to say that's all you need because, you know, obviously it's a little more complicated than that. But that is the lion's share of it right there. And I think that a lot of people say in the more modern world, um, and I'm talking about people who are Torah observant right now or, or who would like to leave, live a Torah life, a lot of people have that same secret weapon and they don't, I don't think, fully value the power of it in terms of how it can shape a relationship moving forward, especially a committed one, one that that exists in the realm of marriage. So that's that's something to really think about. One of my favorite bits of Jewish laws, we have this idea of the shaliach. A shaliach is your messenger and is empowered to do things for you, and it's as if you are doing it. Now, how far do we take this concept of a shaliach? According to Jewish law, you can get married by proxy. You can appoint this representative to go to the chuppah for you and get married on your behalf. Isn't that amazing? Like, it's so surprising. Now, in that same breath that the Talmud brings this, they then tell you the definition of a bad shaliach, a bad messenger. You ready for this? It's someone who you send to get married on your behalf and marries the girl instead of you. <laughs> he says, you know what? I think, I think I'll marry her instead. Which is also according to Jewish law. That marriage is then considered a valid marriage. So that might be additional incentive to show up to your own wedding, by the way, in case you were debating it, in case you were debating it. But here's the other side of that which is, again, according to Jewish law, you have to see the other person before you marry them. Which is interesting, because in other words, why? Why is that the case? Because there has to be some level of attraction. And, and that's important. And, and Judaism recognizes that there is, you know, that this is not just a, a contractual thing that's done as a business arrangement, that there, there has to be some degree of chemistry. Now, how much chemistry? Okay, so that, that's going to be a very individual thing. But certainly love does grow. And certainly someone will be more beautiful in your eyes as you get to know them better. Right? As they're 
inner self through their deeds becomes manifest, they will become more beautiful to you. So as long as there's that line of attractiveness, it doesn't really have to be extreme because a beautiful person can become less beautiful in your eyes if they start to become cruel. And a person who's maybe less beautiful in your eyes will become more beautiful in your eyes as you get to know their inner beauty over time. But, but that baseline has to be there. The, the very core baseline has to be there. But it doesn't have to be as extreme as sometimes we, we think is necessary. So just, you gotta balance all these things in your mind. Okay. And of course, as long as we're talking about getting married, let me just give <laughs> one piece of marriage advice that, that my wife is very strong on, and I think it's just wonderful advice, which is why I want to give it. If you have a good first date and you enjoy yourself, it's all you need to know to go out on a second date. <laughs> and if you have a nice time on the second date, go out on a third date. And if you have a nice time on the third date, go out on the fourth date. There's so many people who go through these, you know, existential crises after a first date, should we do a second date, where the answer is very simple. Did you have a nice time? That's, all you, that's, that's the only question you have to ask yourself. It doesn't have to be any more complicated than that, right? Assuming that the person is an appropriate match, right? Which might be a big assumption, by the way. I... I remember my father telling me, he told me a couple of times this story, that, <clears throat> that he was once, act, uh, he was a psychologist, he practiced for 50 years. He was once talking with, you know, this, this client of his, this patient, and she was a woman, and he said to her, what, you know, what are you looking for in a, in a husband? And she said, well, he has to make this amount of money, and he has to look a certain way, and I want him to live in this particular place. And my father said, well, what about him being a mensch? And she said, well, I, I assume that. And my father said, no, 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 you can't assume that. <laughs> so the value of someone just being a mensch, and by the way, to tell you how much my father valued being a mensch, my father wrote his own tombstone. And he said, you know what I want it to have on it? I want it to say a mensch. And that's what it says. It says a mensch. He wrote his own tombstone. And how awesome that he felt at the end of his life that he was worthy of that word that he held in such high esteem. Right? I bless myself. I bless all of us with that same gift that we should be able to describe ourselves at the end of our lives with the words that we prize most dearly, right? Because that's not a simple thing. That is not a simple thing. I'll tell you something very, very personal, okay? <clears throat> Related to this. As I've shared with you many times before, I didn't grow up in a, in a Torah home. It was strongly Jewish. It was a beautiful Jewish home, but 
but not Torah observant. And I came to that later on. And it was so much inside of me. It was, it was like, I, I, I started to go, going to Reb Shlomo Karlovach Shul, which was across the street from my house in New York City. I could see it out my, my window. I started going there when I was 14, but I started keeping Shabbos when I was 24. But like the fire of Torah and Hasidus and the Rebbe's and Sadiqim was, was inside me, burning inside me for those 10 years, even before those 10 years, actually. And it was really the closest thing to me, even though like to look at me from the outside, you would, that would really be somewhat surprising. That, that's what's most important to you? I mean, like, I don't really see much evidence of that. Like, you know? But it was. It was the thing that was burning inside me. Again, it wasn't something that I really talked about. But it was really there. <clears throat> One of my biggest fears in life was that I was going to marry someone before I got a chance to manifest that side of myself and I was going to marry someone who didn't understand that side of myself and that didn't have that same fire burning within them. That we just had enough in common to want to make that level of commitment. But here's the point that I'm trying to make. Absolutely my biggest fear was that I was going to marry someone and be totally in exile in this relationship. That this person who was going to be, quote unquote, my partner, quote unquote, the closest person to me in the world, was not going to understand me in the most meaningful way at all. And that I was going to be a total stranger. And that even worse, that my children were going to be total strangers to me. Because they weren't going to understand this aspect either. And that I was going to feel incapable of imparting it to them. Because really, if you really want to impart this level of fire to your children, and you can disagree if you want, but I'm just telling you based on my own experience, you really need to send them to Jewish schools. Because this has to be nurtured and it has to be kindled. Because if a child is, is just growing up on cartoons and movies and fast food, and I'm not saying that there's no love or Jewishness in the household, but if the, if the core socializing of the child is with secular culture, it is very hard to communicate that fire. Now, we say that the Jewish soul has what's called the pintaliyid, that, that, that spark of fire in it that never goes out, that can't go out. And so every soul can be lit. I'm not saying otherwise. But, you know, you can light a match or you can kindle a bonfire. <laughs> and I'm telling you, every single one of us has bonfires inside of us. And you really want to give over that bonfire. 
and our parents and our grandparents all the way back to Abraham and Sarah have successfully given over that bonfire inside of us. And, you know, we're really, it's kind of hard right now because you, you, you look at, you kind of look at the state of the Jewish people today and there's really two main paths. There's like a big fork in the road in the Jewish people today. And this is not just me. Go, if you want to, you, if you want to see it, go to the Pew Research Studies, P-E-W, right? That's a big, big organization that studies everything sociological under the sun, including the Jewish people, oddly enough. And you have all the latest, most thorough academic studies to look at. You can look at it. And they're documenting it. This is not me talking. This is not anecdotal. This is something that's got percentages and numbers and demographics and charts and all, all sorts of things. Everything you'd want to see in a graduate school level course. All that is provided in their documentation. And they will tell you that there is a big fork in the road in the Jewish people today. One side, there's an absolute renaissance going on. There is a renaissance. And on the other side, it's oblivion. It's oblivion. It's a wipeout. It's a wipeout. And so I, I got to that same place in my own life, and I, I thought, wow, what if I'm not commun able to communicate what's most important to me, to my wife and to my children? That was, that was my notion of living in hell. So, so life is so hard because, you know, so many of us are waiting for blessings and it's just not so clear when we're waiting too long and when we're missing opportunities. So everybody knows the, the famous joke, but it's, it's, I think it's famous because it, it, it hits a point, which is that you know, there's a, a big rainstorm and the person goes to the top of the house, right? And then someone comes by with a, right, with, with a rowboat and says, jump in. And the person says, no, 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 I'm going to get saved. <laughs> and then another person comes by, right, with something else. And another person finally in a helicopter lowers a ladder and says, you know, I'm here to, and the person says, no, 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 I'm going to get saved. And then the person drowns. And then goes up to God and says, God, why didn't you save me? And the person, and God says back to the person, what do you mean, why didn't I save you? I sent you the rowboat, I sent you the helicopter, I sent you the rope. So, so this, is, this is one of the most difficult things about being a human being. Right? This, this idea of staying in the game and waiting, and at the same time, sort of being practical or being aware of opportunities at the same time, it's so hard to balance these two things. It's so hard to know when am I giving up 
as opposed to, when am I having a muna? When am I having faith? How do we balance these things? And guess what? I don't have an answer for you. (laughs) Because it's so individual. It's absolutely so individual. But can can I give you one bit of advice, sir? Anyone who's in this situation? See a psychologist. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. My father had a hernia for I don't know how many years. 10, 20, 30 years, something like this. And he was seeing a doctor. And the doctor was telling him, you don't have to have surgery on your hernia. My father finally, like 30 years into knowing that he had a hernia, had his hernia operation. And the reason why he didn't get this hernia operation the entire time was because his doctor told him, you don't have to get the hernia operation. Later, at the end of this process, my father found out that the doctor who was advising him had a hernia also and didn't want to get a hernia operation for himself. (laughs) Now, it was never so serious or life-threatening that this was like the subject of malpractice. It It didn't reach that level. But you have a very interesting psychological truth here, which is that they say that if you see a psychologist, you can't get beyond the level of your own psychologist because your own psychologist is going to also have his own issues and his own limitations. And he's going to give you advice or she's going to give you advice from their point of view. right? Now, hopefully, they're more together than you are, which is why they went into the business to, to begin with. Ideally, ideally, right? That, that can't be taken for granted either, you know? But assuming that you're going to someone who's very capable. So why am I, why am I telling you this about the hernias, about psychologists and everything like this? Because when it comes to knowing, should I wait longer or am I missing opportunities? At a certain point, we have to acknowledge that we're blocked. And that's why we don't know the answer. Right? Just like someone can give you advice, we're giving ourselves advice all of the time. And if we are in a place of being stuck, that suggests that we've reached the ceiling of our knowledge on that particular topic. Which is why you want to go and get someone who's got more clarity than you do. And then, you know, hopefully, hopefully things will unknot a little bit. So Moshe comes back. And this is the amazing thing. He leaves, but he comes back and he re-engages. And if you look at the language of the Torah, the Ramban has filled in the blanks in a very, very amazing way. Because it says here, Moshe is saying to God, why have you done evil to this people and why have you sent me? 
From the time I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he did evil to this people, but you did not rescue your people. Okay, great. And then he leaves for six months. And now comes this key word. Hashem says to Moshe, now you will see what I shall do to Pharaoh. So what the Ramban is doing with this, by, by bringing this medrash at this spot right now is, he's filling in, like we would have just read over the word now. Right? But this word now is so important because this word is now after six months. Hashem is saying to Moshe, now I'm going to show you. And this is when the ten plagues are going to begin. But the Ramban adds something else, and this is why I'm telling you this. He gives us the definition of now. You ready for this? Do you know what now means? Because I'll tell you what now means to me. Now. That's what now means. Now. Right? Like the phone rings. Now. That's what now means. The Ramban says, you know what now means? Can I, can I tell you why that's so important? Because so many of us are waiting for a particular blessing, and this is how we go through life with God. Now, 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 now. And the Ramban is telling us something life-saving. Now means soon. You know what that means? What it says to me? I can exhale. Soon. God's running the show. God knows what he's doing. God knows who we are. God's got our back. Now means soon. It's okay. It's okay. Everything is okay. There's a structure. There's an order. There's a path. Now means soon. It's going to be okay. God's got us. So this reminds me of a one-act play that I wrote that I would like to perform for you right now. <laughs> Take me about 30 seconds. <laughs> it's very, a very short one, actually. And it's a kind of like an overview of a person's relationship with God going from its ecstatic heights <laughs> to crashing in front of our eyes. <laughs> okay? The curtain opens. <laughs> person walks onto the stage and says, oh God, you're so great. Whatever I want, you have the ability to answer and nothing is difficult for you. Please, God, grant me this. Everyone should fill in the blank right now. <laughs> this blessing, because only you can do it and I'm turning to you because you're the only power in the world. God, did you hear me? <laughs> I'm still waiting. God? God, are you ignoring me? God, why do you hate me? 
Well, I'm doing all of this just for you. If you're not going to do anything back for me, then forget it. What do I need you for? Person storms off the stage. End of play. <laughs> Tepid applause. <laughs> As people are confused <laughs> and discouraged. <laughs> Here's my question. What went wrong? What went wrong? Things started off in the most beautiful way there. What, what, went, what went wrong? The person went from this place of knowing that God absolutely runs the world and then probably without even realizing they were doing it, narrowed their entire relationship with God to one particular thing. And they made their entire relationship with God based on God, either give me this thing or I'm walking. And think about it for a moment, and I'm not saying this, God forbid, from a lack of sympathy, because all of us have our needs, and God should bless us all that they should be answered for the good immediately. Really, for all of us, for me included, for all of us, for the whole world. But at the same time, let's also be intellectually honest. While I'm waiting for this blessing, did I wake up under a roof this morning? Right? Did I, did I have a cover over me? Did I have a pillow under my head? Right? Did I have a, a bathroom to go to? Right? Did I have a toothbrush? Did I have some food to eat? Right? Did I have the, the wherewithal to go outside? Breathe the air. There's so many, and I'm just talking really super baseline things right now. And Rahman al-Islam, I know a lot of people don't even have those things, but, but most of us do, thank God. And there's so many blessings on top of that. I mean, if we really want to go into it, Dozens and dozens, and while I'm waiting for that one thing, or those two things, while I'm waiting, there's so much good that's happening. There's so many blessings that are happening. And so, just like we can unquit, we can also un-ultimatum God. <laughs> and we can just somehow find that power to wait and to stay connected. In terms of receiving livelihood, there's a very important line in the prayers. I'll read it to you in Hebrew. And I'll translate that for you. Um, you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The rabbis tell us that we should concentrate very greatly when we say those words, that God is blessing us with our livelihood at all times. There's so many intricate little things about that one line of Torah. And I was thinking, maybe 
If I look very closely, maybe I can find something new in that phrase that no one has found before. And then I said, well, you know what? I'll count the number of words and I'll count the number of letters. Because it's saying God is giving us our sustenance at all times. And guess what? There's 24 letters and seven words. In other words, 24 seven. God is blessing us with our livelihood. And then I thought to myself, but wait a second, right now I don't have a job. <laughs> and then I thought to myself, wow, but I am eating lunch right now. <laughs> I just finished like this great lunch. So God is actually feeding me at this very moment. And then I thought even deeper that every living thing, so we're talking about single-celled organisms on the bottom of oceans that we'll never see in our lifetimes. Creatures roaming around in forests in between mountain ranges that have never been discovered till this day. So humans and every living creature are metabolizing 24-7. They're taking nutrients within the body and the body is actually literally being fed, whether you have a job or not, you are being fed 24-7. Every creature alive. Every creature alive. So again, things happen in stages. And sometimes it manifests itself as your body metabolizing nutrients. <laughs> And sometimes it's a phone call and it's a corner office in a beautiful building. <laughs> there are different levels of revelation. But the fact that God is feeding us at all times is 100% true, not just on the level of faith, but on the level of science. And of course, we have to, when we wait, as we discussed today, we have to wait with wisdom to make sure that the waiting isn't just paralysis. And to make that distinction in our own lives, is this paralysis or is this faith? Because sometimes paralysis can masquerade itself as faith. And we have to be really careful and honest with ourselves, right? When am I stuck and when am I just being filled with a muna, right? And so sometimes to bring in that wise counsel is the best step and really important. But the redemption, God has made it very clear, happens in stages. The redemption happens in stages. And you know something? God willing, we should see the end in our days. God willing, we should absolutely see it. But what a privilege, what a privilege to be part of the process. What a privilege, because the line that I'm standing in right now waiting at the front of the line is Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, <laughs> Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. What a line. I mean, if I have to be standing in a line, and there's Moshe Rabbeinu, and there's the Baal Shem Tov, and there's the Vilna Gon, and there's Reb Shlomo, and there's a Lubavitcher Rebbe. What a line to be waiting in. 
There's the Chofetz Chaim. Right? There's the Eish Kodesh. There's the Kutzker Rebbe. I'm waiting in the same line that they're waiting in? Now I have strength. Now I have strength. Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.